All right, let's uh, let's begin where we left off in our notes. And I think we left off at uh, just with Revelation. We talked about the promises of the Old Testament being uh, fulfilled. And, uh, and down below, I told I, on the very first page, I have all the books that are my source, my main source. McLean, Locke, Locke, and Waymire as, as a study there. And just to review quickly, among those who believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, there is a basic debate between two camps of theological camps, the premillennialism and the amillennialistic camp. The discussion is over the thousand-year reign of Christ over the earth between the present age and the eternal state. The premillennialist believes in an intermediate kingdom between the present state and the eternal state. The amillennialist believes the present era is followed by a, an eternal state, no intermediate, no millennium. And the premillennialists see revelation interpreted literally, and that's where we were in. Last time, turn to Revelation chapter 20. We'll pick it up there. Uh, in the, our growing up years, we were in an all-millennialist church, and they believed that that's the era that we were in, and that we would be until the eternal state. We're in the kingdom right now? Yeah. Yeah, that's what they would teach. Yeah. We drew two circles, three circles. Yeah. You have this circle. You have uh, have the, this circle, and then you have this is the time of age. We are here right now in what we call the church age. Somewhere in here. Well, this is the earth. This the this age will end with a judgment. We call it the tribulation. All believers of this age and the Old Testament will go into the mediatorial kingdom where Jesus Christ is king. Or you can call it the intermediate kingdom. That, by Revelation chapter 20, is 1,000 years. Mentioned six times in that particular section. After that is over, there's another judgment. There's a new heaven and a new earth. But it's still the earth. So we, we who are here will pass all the way through this to there. We'll live in the millennium and we'll live in the new heaven and new earth. When it says a thousand years right there, well, how do they get that there won't be a thousand years? Okay, that's what we discussed last time. And uh, we, we didn't quite get there, but here is, I don't know where this is in your notes. I think I put it in your notes. It would be uh, footnote number four. Do you have that in the bottom of your page anywhere? Footnote number four? Yes. Okay. 
This is by a amillennialist by the name of Riddlebarger. Here's how he explains it. This refers to the importance of interpreting unclear biblical text in the light of clear passages that speak to the same subject, rather than taking the literal sense in isolation of the rest of Scripture, this text that speak of the last things must therefore be interpreted by other passages. Now that's not exactly what he's saying. I thought I had a better quote than that. But here's the point. He is saying that Revelation 20, 20 is an isolated passage. And so you can't take the thousand years literally, and you can't take that Revelation 20 literally. Now, what they call it, used to call their interpretation uh, spiritualizing. They have changed the name to uh, anal, uh, anal, what did I say? Analogy of faith. That's what they've changed it to. So it sounds better. So they take this, and, they, and rather than interpret uh, Revelation 20 this way, they take all passages that we say refer to the intermediate state. They say refers to the internal state. And I have another quote, just we probably won't get there, but here's what, I uh, find it in my notes, I just wrote it down uh, today somewhere. Um, I'll find it and quote it to you. Okay. Sam Storms. He says, the best and most intelligible way when we get into it, the original author of prophecy could communicate the realistic future glory of the new heaven and new earth to people who were necessarily limited by the progress of revelation to the point in time was to portray it in hyperbolic or exaggerated terms of an ideal present. So when it says in Isaiah 11 and 65, when it says the lamb lies down with the island, lamb lies down with the lamb, the lion lies down with the lamb, what he is saying that's hyperbolic, that is exaggerated. And that's a way they interpret uh, this particular form, as, as we will see later tonight. Do they just pull that out? They just pull it out and say that's analogy of faith. And the people back there couldn't catch on to it. So we had to speak in exaggerated terms. We, however, in the 21st century are much more advanced. Can you read that quote again? Oh, I'm sorry. No, you don't have to. Okay. Okay. The best and most intelligent way the original author of prophecy could communicate the futuristic re future glory of the new heaven and new earth to people who are necessarily limited by progress of revelation to that point of time was to portray it in hyperbolic or exaggerated terms of an ideal present. So a couple things. One, it's interesting because this specific revelation is the final revelation. So what were they limited to? 
right? This is the fine 90 years. Mm -hmm. Or what would he have been in his 70s, John? Um, this was the last revelation given. Okay, now uh, that the, that was given in the in the Bible. Right. Okay. So what you. would have limited them? Because they at that point would have had the full written revelation. Yeah, but he but in this particular particular incident, he's talking about Old Testament prophecy. Oh, I see. I see. He's not talking about. No, he's not talking. Okay. Okay. We believe in a literal. Historical, grammatical interpretation of Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't figures of speech, like similes or metaphors, but you take it at its literal sense. You don't have to exaggerate it or make it hyperbolic to get the meaning, to find the meaning. Problem is, then, who decides what the exaggerated meaning is, who makes the decision that it's hyperbolic? Those with fuller revelation from That's what right. saying. Yeah. The Bible wasn't written to theologians, it was written to common ordinary people. But what happens is then you it gets into the hands of the intellect and they then determine. And so you're saying, why should I read my Bible? I can't understand it anyway. I got to go to a, listen to some a PhD in uh, theology. Okay. Go back to where I was, somewhere back there. All right. Revelation 20. We. we I don't think we need to go over that. Anybody got questions on that? We did it last week. There's a thousand years after uh, the Millennial Kingdom at that last stage. And that's when the unbelievers are all judged. That's after the Millennium. Satan's left loose. We'll talk about the prophesied mediatorial kingdom now. We'll go back to Genesis chapter 1 and let's read 26 to 31. And I want you to notice the language in this particular section at the creation of man. Genesis 1.26 Because what we're talking about in the kingdom is the restoration of what man lost in the original fall of Genesis. Alright. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food, and to all the beasts of the earth.
all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Okay, notice in 26, let us make man in our image. Not in our, our likeness, in our image. We're a reflection, in minute of what God is. in the sense that we have intellect, we have motions, we have self-consciousness, and we have volition, we have a will. And uh, he said, let them rule over what? Everything. All the earth. Pardon? All the earth. Yeah, and everything in it. The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping Japanese beetle that creeps on the earth. <laughs> God bless them, 28. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And here's the word again. Subdue it. And again he repeats, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds and everything that moves on the earth. And then God gives them their diet. And then he says, it was what? Very good. Everything up till now he said, it was good. But here he says, it's what? Very good. And if God pronounces it very good, it's very good. Perfect. Okay, man chose to be free from the rule of God, therefore placing himself under the domain of Satan. When a king falls, his domain falls, resulting in ruin, utopia. So when the king fell, everything fell with him. In Genesis 3.18, somebody read that please, and uh, maybe read, read all of it. Genesis 3.17-19, which includes uh, verse 18. Verse, no, it doesn't. I see it wrong. It's Genesis 3.16-19. Read that. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Let your desire... Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Okay, so the woman who <clears throat> ate the fruit first, she gets the first judgment. And what's that? Pain and childbirth. When the command was given to fill the earth, now suddenly we've got problems. Women have trouble in childbirth. And every woman here would testify to that fact. Somebody said if men would have, the women have the first one, and men would have the second one, there'd never be more than three children in any one family. Okay, he said to Adam, 17, 18, and 19. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, 
you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay, so now the curse on man is trouble and making a living. The earth, which was his friend, now becomes his enemy. And you have to fight to grow crops. And you all know that. We don't have to go explain that to anybody here. Now, he says, man died spiritually in his relationship to God, but God spared Adam and Eve temporarily from death, physical death, in order that he might reconcile man to himself and restore his creation. He said, the day you eat of this tree, what? You shall surely die. They died spiritually at that point. They ran from God and it. And man has been running from God ever since. And it's Christ who said he came to seek and to save them which were lost. Man is not seeking God. Romans 3. Psalm 14. Man is not seeking God. Anybody that has any inclination toward the true God of the universe, that's a Holy Spirit's work. It's not man's work. Now look at Colossians chapter 1, 18 to 20. Colossians chapter 1, 18 to 20. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God is pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 20 is interesting, isn't it? And through him, Christ, to reconcile all things, all means all, it's all all means, all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Everything is going to be reconciled to God. And that's where we're going to have that new heaven and new earth over here. It'll be a perfect earth. Everything will be like God intended it to be from Genesis chapter 1. That's where we're going. So it's going to take a progress, and he promised the seed. We went over that a little bit last week, so we won't club it to death. When and we read in Genesis 3:16, we've read that passage already. He got, and he makes a promise of a king. He says to Abraham, this is the line now, and I'm just going to go through this quickly. In Genesis 17:16, he says to Abraham. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. Jacob says to Judah in Genesis 49.10 
The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, a ruler comes. David, 2 Samuel 7, 16. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, and your throne shall be established forever. So, the Old Testament is full. There's a king coming. And the promised line is fulfilled. Born of a woman, 315. Adam's son, Seth, became the father of Enosh. And he had other sons and daughters. Noah's son, Shem, may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So the line out of the three sons goes to Shem. Shem's descendant, Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I'm separating you from your family, and I'm going to make you a special person. Abraham's son Isaac. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next time. Remember, Abraham got a little impatient. And so did, Hag uh, so did uh, Sarah. And so they took uh, Hagar, his handmaid, and he had a child by her whose name was Ishmael. And he became the father of the Arabs. And that's been a rub ever since, quite frankly. Fi finally, Abraham had to send him out of his house because of the rub between Ishmael and Hagar over Isaac. Jacob's son, or an Isaac's son, he had twins. Genesis 26-23. Two nations are in your womb, and two people will be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And the twins' names were? Jacob and Esau. And you know, Jacob finagled uh, the birthright and the blessing when he, all he had to do was wait for it. And Judah's descendant is uh, actually uh, David. And it's David now out of which the king will come. And then Ruth chapter 4, there's a little genealogy that shows you the, how this all came uh, through Ruth. Interesting, isn't it? That two women, uh, three women up to this time, you had uh, Tamer, who committed incest. You have Rahab, who was a prostitute. And you have Mo uh, Ruth, who was a Moabitess. All get into the line of Christ. Uh, that shows your grace, doesn't it? Now the promise of a king. Let's go to Psalm 2. Promise of a king. Rubard Kipling made this comment that captains and the kings are not the most important factor. The biblical prophet declares, however, that kings are the most important factor in the mediatorial government. Kings, presidents are very important. Like it, as the nation goes, so that as they go, the nation goes. 
Psalm uh, 72 1, just a preview. All right, is this in your notes at all? Yeah. Okay. Psalm 72 1. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. The, the restoration of man's lost dominion must come through a person. He shall bruise the usurper's head, Genesis 3.15. It's not to some impersonal organization that the judgments of God will be committed, but to a person he came. Psalm 2, let's go to that. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, we say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you be destroyed in your, in your way, for his wrath will flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in Okay, the question is asked, why are the nations in an uproar? And the kings of, and the people are devising vain, empty things. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, and against what? His anointing. Who is his anointing? Christ. Jesus. Come on. Jesus Christ. His son. So we could take verses 1 and 2 and describe that clear through verse 3, right? Right now, we have a, we have a president who is advocating gross immorality. Right? Changing genders, abortion, uh, parading the LBQ people. I mean, how, how much lower can you get than this? How, what, what could he advise that would be worse? Moral. So he's against the anointed, and he's saying, and we've had other presidents, I'm not just picking on this one. We've had other presidents that, that had uh, same kinds of trouble and world leaders, many of our world leaders. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. The kings of the earth do not like the morality and righteousness that God rules with. Neither does our Congress. I mean, we're, we're under government that is less than ideal, to be sure. Now, Monday I went and saw this, at the request of somebody, see this uh, movie Freedom, which is about sex trafficking. And you realize, as they go through this, this is a story that will keep you in your seat 
if you see this movie. It's a story, actually, but it's a true story. And in that, the United States is the great, has the greatest appetite in the world for sex trafficking boys and girls. The United States. Is God going to tolerate this? No. We may be on the, the point of return, quite frankly. This is a horrible thing, whisking kids off the streets and subjecting them to pedophiles and other things. They're casting the night. And then he who sits in the heaven laughs at this in scorn. He scoffs at them. He will speak to them in his anger and he'll terrify them in his fury and saying, but for me, I have installed my king upon my holy mountain. When the prey tale is that going to happen? I don't mean to be preaching. I was going to make this a real calm body story. <laughs> but I've installed my king. When is that going to happen? The millennial kingdom. Yeah. This cannot be talking about eternity, can it? It can't be talking about now. We've never seen this in the world anywhere. I'll surely tell you of the decree that he said. He said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten me. Ask of me, and what is God going to do in verse um, 8? What's he going to do in that? What does that say to you? He's going to give the nations to, the, to Christ. Yeah, he's going to give the nations to Christ, the king. He's going to rule over the nations. Historically, has that ever happened? And, it, and if you don't have a millennium, this is never going to happen. Right? It's never going to happen if you don't have a millennium. If you don't have an intermediate king. And then he says to them, he says, take warning in verse 10, O judges of the earth, worship the Lord with reverence and trembling. Do homage to the Son, so that he may not be angry with you and perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. You know what he's telling the nations? Bow down now, or you'll be destroyed. Nobody's really paid any attention to that, I don't think, any nation. Okay, take a look now at Psalm 72, verses 8 to 11. And look at the rule of the king. So if you cancel out Israel and the promises to Israel, you can't make sense of any of this. No. It depends on the Israel and their right to the land, doesn't it? It does. If you go back and look at the covenant that God made with Abraham, he said, this is your land forever. This is your land forever, Abraham. Now, we've got 2,000 years, and until May 1948, from uh, 70 A.D. to May 1948, they didn't own a, no Jew owned any land there, hardly. See what I'm saying? 
But they're going to, I can show you that the year of Jubilee, every land was to go back to the original owner. I think we talked about that, did we, uh, earlier Sunday. in the study? So all the land's going to go back. And, and in these promises that I'll show you tonight, if we get that far, which I don't think we will, but everybody's going to own their own land forever. They're going to build, live in the houses they built. Their land's going to produce double. That's a promise that God makes. Now you can say it's hyperbole, or you can say it's exaggerated. But that's what it says. Okay. Psalm 72. Somebody read verses uh, 8 to 11. You will rule the sea to sea and from the river to the end of the earth. The desert tribe will bow, will bow before him and his enemies will lift the dust. The kings of Tarshish and distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba, the kings of Sheba and, and Seba will present gifts. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. Last phrase, what does it say? All, all nations will serve him. That has not happened. That has not happened in our day. And if Jesus comes and it's the eternal state, it will never happen. Okay, the character of a king, uh, of the mediatorial king, is described in Isaiah 11, 4 to 9. The character of a king matters. Are we finding that out or what? Found cocaine in the White House. We've known from, I, I've read uh, several books on previous presidents, and a lot of them are immoral and unfaithful to their wives while they're in office. John F. Kennedy was uh, a notable for that. You ought to feel sorry for Jackie. Really. It's horrible. But he wasn't the only one. By, by any means. Okay, Isaiah 11. Let's read 4, 5, and 6. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips. He shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling the little child shall lead him. Okay, verse 8 and 9. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and, wean, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be fruit be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Okay, root of Jesse is here. 
Jesus Christ. Notice. He will rule with righteousness. He will judge the poor, decide the fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked, and the righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. Has anybody seen that? No. So what's the rod in his mouth? His word. What what he says goes. And he also has a rod of iron. Yes. His word would be that too. The word of kings and presidents today. Uh, how much meaning can you put in it? You elect me and you'll all have a chicken in every pot. And I won't raise taxes. <laughs> Famous one. McLean in his book on the kingdom, when he talks about uh, when Israel wants a king, he points out that uh, dictatorships are the most unstable uh, uh, governments in the world. Because dictators have a tendency to overestimate how much people will pay for their protection. Interesting, isn't it? So they revolt. They have a coup. So every once in a while, you'll see a dictator uh, be overthrown. And because, because they just don't have, they just aren't intelligent enough to rule like this one. Jesus Christ will be a, big, be a dictator, quite frankly. Nothing wrong with a king. If he's good. The bad thing is finding a king that's good. Here's a king that's perfect and righteous and does everything that is righteous. He doesn't need to add committee. And he doesn't have to go through Congress. He makes a decision. It's right, it's fair, it's just, it's pure. But we want a king just like all the other nations. Yeah, that's what Israel. You know, Israel was led directly, but sure. they wanted a human king. Mm -hmm. Now look at Isaiah chapter two, verses two to four on the kingdom, the promised king and his kingdom. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord, of the Lord's temple, will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many people will, people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge He will judge between the nations. He will settle disputes for many peoples. He will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. We've had a League of Nations and we've had the United Nations. And have they prevented any war? Hardly. Right. <clears throat> we've had several mountain references here. Are those yeah. meant to be literal Mount of Olives Mount? Or what is No, the I would take that as uh, mountain. Now, here it's figurative language is government. Okay. In the context. He will, he will establish in verse 2 as the chief of the mountains. But it will be on a mountain where he will be 
And is that similar to the references to my holy mountain, or is that meant to be taken differently? That's the way I take it. Okay. I have a question. What would the amillennial, because one of the things that we've read over and over again is that Christ will subdue the nations like while he's actually here on earth. Like there will be sinners, there will be unbelievers. He will subdue the nations. If the amillennialist believes that we're like here one minute and then we're in the eternal kingdom, how do they reconcile that there are obviously nations and unbelievers in the kingdom that Jesus is ruling? Good question. Well, it's one world government. Mm -hmm. That's what they're leading us towards, thinking that somehow we'll get together with one benevolent right. dictator, one benevolent government, which right. won't be right. right, we need to bring on the kingdom. We need to... Yeah. yeah. Uh, they think, they, they uh, I think, they believe, and I grew up in an amillennialist church, they believe we're in the kingdom now. They talk a lot about the kingdom. And we're in the kingdom right now. And our job is to make it right. We have to. Yeah, we, we're the arm. It's heavy into socialism. We've got to make this right. They interpret the, the mountain of the Lord's temple. They call that the church, right? Yeah. That's why we need to sing the song, Build Your Kingdom Now. Thomas. <laughs> Go ahead, Thomas. I'll get right on that. Look for another church next time. <laughs> okay, I have a question. Um, I'm afraid to ask. Ruth and I have been a real disappointment to Rod in this whole study. We thought we had it. We weren't even close. So everything that you're telling us tonight is setting up the biblical proof for that middle. Right. Well, and basically drawing reference that Revelation 20 is not an anomaly, but in fact has been being mentioned since the Old Testament. Right. Here we are, right now, in the present. The next, all of this, all of this has gone wrong. The whole thing is cursed. I don't know what I'm looking at. Presently. In the world in which we live. Now. Everything we're talking about is Jesus going to rule on the earth. That'll be then. He came and John 1 says what? Yeah, they didn't know him. He came into his own. They didn't know him. The world didn't know him even though he created the world. Think of this. The Son of God who spoke the word, read in Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, Romans, the one who spoke the word, who created this world, came down as a man and he lived a life down here of righteousness and offered himself to be the king. And what did they say? Give us Caesar. We don't want him. We don't want him. Sorry, people there can't see. 
So this cursed earth has got to be, God's going to restore it. This is the whole point. The first step in restoration is to show people what this earth could be with a righteous ruler. That's the first step. Children will be born. There will be economic. There will be countries. There will be art. There will be music. There will be enjoyment. There will be intercommunication with people. People will see Jesus Christ personally. People will talk to the prophets. You'll talk to people on the earth. At the end, they still reject it. Why? Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who knows the depths of the wickedness of the human heart? And I saw it in movie form Monday night. Torture they put these kids through. Where's that showing, Rod? I saw it in Hastings. It's but in York, too. Is it in York? It was last night. Listen, it's worth seeing. I don't recommend you go to movies necessarily, but I sneak off every now and then. <laughs> but it's only on in certain theaters. There's nothing, they could have shown a lot of immorality in this, but there's nothing that would be offensive to anybody. They're very, they're very discreet. In fact, uh, at the end of the movie, the guy said, we made this movie five years ago, and he says, you cannot believe the steps that we had to go through to get this into theaters. Five years it took. And it's a story about a guy who worked for the homeland, you know, the, the homeland government. All right, Rod, I have a question on the chart because you're talking about that millennial kingdom and the sinners and the people that will reject Christ. At the bottom of this chart, it talks about the way to salvation. There's like a sec section, and on the millennial kingdom, it says works no faith. Uh, wrong. Okay. Well. Rock that out. <laughs> There's only one way to enjoy the kingdom, and Jesus told Nicodemus. You've got to be born again. And see, everybody that enters this kingdom is saved. The survivors of the our, our age who pass through the judgment period alive make up the kingdom here. There's 144,000, according to Revelation, male males who have not known a woman who are missionaries during this time, they'll go in, they marry, they have children. Gentiles go in and they'll have children. Now Isaiah 65 tells us that nobody will die until they're 100 years old during this time. If somebody dies in our time at 34 years old, we say that's, we're alarmed. They're young. When they die at 100, and when they die at 60, 70, 80 years, that's to be expected. Right? I mean, if it's a close relative, of course we miss them. But realistically, we don't live forever down here. We know that. Kidding yourself, you think you're going to. And 
it's the biggest problem of insurance agents to get people to say when you die, not if you die. People say, you know, if you die. It's really when you die. I heard that. Where did I hear that? I heard that today on some news, if they die. But anyway, so they're going to, so this whole population is going to explode. If no, there's going to be no infant death. The curse on the woman will probably be lifted. Isn't sin judged instantly, though? I mean, isn't it? Is that what I understand about the millennial kingdom? There's, there's judgment immediately for sin. Pretty much, yes. So a man who dies at a hundred years old says in Isaiah 65, he died, he's considered accursed. And people will say, he deserved it. He's accursed. So if, if you can have children without the pain and children the way God meant it to be, can you imagine how, how fast and you're raised, you're not going to be poor. I mean, what hinders people having more children? The pain, the sorrow, economics, national, uh, national. I've had people say, should I have children, get married? Say, should I have children uh, in light of the way their country's going? Absolutely. God, God will take care of your children. They're supposed to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's the goal that he's given you, and he's never shrunk, shrunk away from that. Some people can, some people can't. I know a family. We went to a funeral this last, uh, when was that, June? May, whenever it was, when we were gone some, off and on. Uh, a family of his father died suddenly. They have how many children? 18, 18 and one on the way. Now that might be <laughs> I would say it's not up to you to populate the whole earth. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. That was impressive. Because the funeral was held in a church of probably held 150 people. And they were there early. And their whole family sat on one section in the front. The babies to the oldest. And uh, the children were taking care of each other. They were behaved. It was unbelievable. And uh, our son is a very close uh, friend of them. And he said, Dad, they all have a chore. They all do their chores. They are all minding their parents. He said, it is unbelievable. And he spoke a little bit. Mike spoke a little bit at the funeral. And I told Faith, I think we need to bring this guy in. He's the guy that ought to be teaching child, child discipline and child everything else. He's the guy, because he's doing it. But I can't imagine. I think there's what, two sets of twins? Huh? Yeah, there's two sets of twins in those 18. And she is, she is uh, expecting another baby. And let me tell you, she has kept her shape very, very well. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I'm just, I was in a state of shock. I thought maybe I'd skipped the tribulation and was already in the blame. <laughs> so, salvation in the millennium would look like 
mm-hmm. believing even I mean so Christ is ruling on earth and you have to believe that he died on the cross and was, rose again and just like when he was here yeah. they saw Christ some said he's a fake right some said this is the son of God mm-hmm. what's the Holy Spirit's role in the millennium uh, he is the preserver of God's creation and he is the one who regenerates so he will have basically the same and everybody every believer like today will be filled with the Holy Spirit which is which was not true prior to Pentecost mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what is the difference this is becoming a real question and answer time that's good what's the difference between the regenerated earth and the new heaven and the new earth. Like how much better no dying does it get after no <laughs> sin. Okay. Because it also says that like there's no sea. Sea, there's no sea. It'll be minimized. I mean, how many people can live on the earth if it were all perfect? Right. If you didn't have a sea and you don't have the Arctic Circle and and the Antarctica. We got places where it just can't live. We want to go to Mars. It just seems like it's already going to be so good, and then it's like, let's start over. Uh-huh. But this this will be this millennium too, if you read Revelation twenty, and and Second Peter will also be destroyed and renovated. Right. The whole Earth will be renovated again. Right. It's renovated here. Every island has moved. All mountains will be shook down to nothing. Then it's renovated by fire over here. Then you have the eternal state. And we'll have fellowship one with another and enjoy all of God's world. I've always taught there'd be no sun in the in the eternal state and have I been in this study I've had to rethink that there will be light in the holy city but there will be day and night and uh, and and it really says that in Genesis 8.22 as long as the earth remains there will be seasons and they may not be as harsh as the seasons we have but there will be seasons day and night as long as the earth remains. How rich is this planet? Well, okay, next question. Will, because we know, especially those of us who went to the ark thing, the world was way different pre-flood. Sure. Like a lot of the issues we have now is because there was this kind of protective chocolate coating around the US, around the world, and now it's gone after the flood. So will we go back to like pre-flood I, I, canopy I think world? Yes. Yeah. What do we know about fossils? All we know about fossils, they were once alive and buried in sediment rock or volcanic ash. Well, because they've also said that's why humans don't live as long. Because with that yeah. layer, people were living 900 years. Yeah, that's a whole other subject. But, but uh, 
I mean, you got fossils in Iceland that uh, its fauna could never grow in Iceland, nor could cold-blooded animals live under that in the Arctic Circle. But they did. They're buried there. I have one question going from now to the millennium. You said the 144,000 Jews we read about in Revelation, they go into the kingdom, the ones who evangelize the planet, whatever. And also some Gentiles. Are they Gentiles who survived the trip? That are believers. Gentiles that are believers but didn't die. Right. There's only two-thirds of the earth is going to be killed. The unbelievers will go directly to hell without passing go. So the converted Gentiles. Yeah, converted. Everybody that goes in here is converted, but they all have children. There's no eradication of the sin nature. Does that help? Or is it raise more questions? thing is, people, we have a glorious hope. We have a great, great future. It's not some mystical, foggy thing where we're in a spirit world and we're not going to be sitting on a stream on a hot day with our feet in cold water playing a harp. We're not going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. <laughs> Well, one guy wrote, said about Christianity, if you go to heaven, bring a book. No. I don't think we can even imagine. This got off the subject, but when the tribulation, start, tribulation starts, I mean, it's seven years and it's done. Yeah. People, well, people under, I mean, it's like the time, which is, at that point, I mean, I don't know what I'm asking, but I mean, once it starts, you will, we won't be here, but they'll know that it started in seven years. It's, it's well, like, nobody, I don't think uh, only believers will know what, what's going on. Yeah. People will come to light during it, as the Holy Spirit calls them out, uh, but uh, they won't know. I mean, I guess there's, a, there's some explanation going to have to make what happens to all the people that disappeared at the rapture? I don't know. We've got aliens now and everything else in games and people, you know, aliens probably took them for all, you know. It'll be a new virus and we all disappeared with it. <laughs> huh? It'll be a new virus and... <laughs> sure, it could be that. But the written word will still be available on the earth at that right. point. That's probably how the 144,000 come to know it as they read the Old Testament. Wow. The, the Jew wakes up. Suddenly he wakes up. Right now, the Jewish people have a blindness on them. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. The Jewish people have are blinded by God as a nation. There's a remnant in every generation. 
There's a certain Jew saved in every generation. We support who is a Jew in Israel who's trying to start a church, but he can't be a missionary in Israel, so he has one of these companies like Biden has, where he can take his money. He has one of these shadow companies. He has an office, and he's, and he's witnessing to believers. It's, it's against the law in Israel to witness of Jesus Christ to a Jew. But if the Jew asks a question, then that's all right. So he's got a, a group of Jewish believers. And we had, uh, years ago, we had a pianist that's uh, unbelievable. Uh, what was his name? Roderman? Sam Rodman. 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 Sam Rodman. He was born in a uh, Jewish family in New York City. And he started reading the New Testament and got saved. And he became a pianist. And there's some songs that only about four or five people could play in the world. It's so complicated. Has so many notes. And he's one of the guys. And he, wherever he goes, it's under one stipulation that he shares his testimony how he found Jesus Christ. Been all over the world. So there's there's a few Jewish guys that always get saved in every generation. But there'll be mass evangelism by the 144,000. Will there be Gentiles that are getting saved, like just the Holy Spirit calling them out and them having access mm -hmm. to the Word of God? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So whatever you say, always use the Word. The Word is powerful. Sneak it in somewhere. The Bible says, or the Lord says, you know, you know, and the Bible says, and uh, you may create a conversation, you may be turned off. It goes either way. <laughs> or nobody pays attention. All right. We'll start with uh, market. We'll start with uh, Isaiah 62 next time. This is really an interesting portion. In this section of Isaiah, I'll give you a preview of coming attractions. Ruined cities will be re rebuilt. Nations will come to Israel. The land will produce double. Israel will receive the everlasting covenant. Prosperity of Israel. Violence removed. Israel will rely on the light of the Lord. All people will be righteous. And people will possess the land forever. All right. Father, dismiss us with your blessing and grant everybody a safe ride home. We ask in Jesus' name.